You probably remember Forrest Gump going on and on about the many ways shrimp can be prepared. You may also remember he owned his own boat. More and more, shrimp and fish are grown in controlled environments. Farm-raised seafood is a big business. The product of farm-raised fish is probably in your grocer's case right now. Before you make your next purchase of shrimp to go on the barbie, there are some things I want you to know about aquaculture. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 124. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. My cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, is available on Amazon or through the link on my blog post, culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. See the photos submitted by readers of the dishes they've made and submit your own photos. Check it out at culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. You might be that seafood lover who eats everything. Or you might be that person who likes only fried shrimp. There was a point in time not really very long ago that if you lived far from saltwater, you didn't get saltwater fish in the grocery store. At least not fresh. Fish sticks and breaded fish fillets have been around a long time. And if you simply have to know, fish sticks were perfected in 1953. As seafood goes, and this is the broad strokes, if it was in salt water, it's included, there are really two choices, commercially wild-caught or farmed. I am excluding recreational since you can't buy it in a store or order it off the menu. Commercial fishing turns out to be a rather interesting topic, and I may do a show on that later. Today's focus is farmed fish. You can probably name half a dozen or so fish or shellfish that are farmed. Clams, oysters, mussels, salmon, catfish, and shrimp. Maybe you got trout and tilapia. You might have missed arctic char, scallops, turbo, carp, and tuna. The business, and it is a business, a big business into billions of dollars a year, is aquaculture. A few years ago, I visited the Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute near Fort Pierce, Florida. Of the many things they do and research, Aquaculture is one of them. They raise seed clams, and they showed us a kind of a closed system which raises hydroponic greens and fish together in the same location. In their example, basil was the product crop, and tilapia offered the fertilizer for the plants, and both the herbs and the fish lived happily together, and both were harvested. Now, a visit to their webpage shows they're working on redfish, pompano, cobia, 
still those clams, edible seaweed, and probably more. They note that 50% of the world's fish comes from aquaculture, but less than 1% comes from the U.S. Well, seems an easy fix to increase the fish coming from American aquaculture farms, right? Buy American. Trouble is, at least with shrimp, it's not very easy to do. According to Matt McCrellis of Southern Seafood in Tallahassee, Florida, the U.S. farmed shrimp market is small and generally too expensive. The website SeafoodSource.com published an interview with Jeffrey Lotz, who notes that the low price of imported shrimp makes domestic farmed shrimp prices unattractive, adding, quote, with the shrimp disease problem a couple of years ago, there was a lot of interest in domestic shrimp production. And now they have managed the problems and the prices are not high enough for shrimp farming to look attractive at this point, end quote. Now, I will offer at this point is relative to the article date, which was published in 2010. One challenge I had, probably as much due to poor search queries, was finding current content about shrimp farming. The content I did find on shrimp aquaculture isn't pleasant. I'm going to come back to that uh, shrimp disease issue uh, in a little bit. Since about half the seafood sold is from aquaculture, there's a good chance the shrimp and salmon and shellfish in your grocer's case are farm-raised. Of the shrimp in that case, it is almost certain it is not farm-raised in the U.S., so it is either wild-caught or, in the case with the country of origin label, which will reveal where it was caught or where it was farmed. So now the issue is, if it's farmed, what happened on that farm? And now we get to the heart of the problem. The conditions under which those shrimp were raised, what they were fed, what they were treated with, yes, shrimp can get sick, can affect and impact the wholesomeness of the shrimp. There remains an impact to the humans doing the harvesting and an impact to the immediate environment that are also, I believe uh, economists would call that contingencies. Maybe not. A Forest People's Program website article from 2010 reads, quote, Industrial shrimp aquaculture has been widely attributed to a host of serious problems, including the destruction of community-owned mangrove forests and wetlands, the undermining of food security, land grabbing, labor abuses, and even murder. Shrimps fed on genetically modified soya from the deforested plains of Latin America and the degraded anchovy ecosystem of Peru are air freighted and shipped around the world in freezer compartments to our plates. Tropical shrimp production is perhaps the least sustainable mass-produced protein on the planet. Not that you would know from the supermarket aisles, however, words like responsible and community-friendly and cooperative adorn supermarket packaging, all too often made with the explicit endorsement 
weak, industry-dominated eco-labels, end quote. According to the Oceana.org blog post, imported farm shrimp can contain illicit antibiotics, stating, quote, a 2015 Consumer report study found that of 205 imported shrimp samples, 11 from Vietnam, Thailand, and Bangladesh were contaminated with antibiotic residues. Some of these antibiotics have been linked to cancers, while others are illegal to administer to food animals in the United States, end quote. Now, overseas shrimp farms means mostly Thailand, Indonesia, and India, but not exclusively. There are other countries that do it, but this is from the article. I want to revisit quickly that mangrove issue. Mangrove trees serve as homes for smaller fish. From the Oceana.com, Org blog post, mangrove forests hold on to, quote, greenhouse gas in their wood and leaves. They also help to lay down thick layers of soil-like peat, end quote, for many years. Destroying mangrove forests and beds releases that carbon. Another challenge farmed shrimp presents is the same problem farmed fish presents. They have to eat. In many cases, the food is made from wild-caught fish, sardines and anchovies usually, ground up, and vitamins added. The finished feed resembles something like dry dog or cat food. For farms raising herbivore fish, no wild fish is used for the feed pellets. In the feed for both kinds of fish, herbivore and omnivore, Producers depend on plant protein wholly or as a supplement. NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, oversees fisheries. They write on one of their fisheries pages, quote, farmed fish are fed diets specifically designed for their nutritional needs. This feed contains all the essential nutrients needed to keep them healthy and growing. Fish nutritional needs vary by species. Herbivorous fish eat a feed mixture that may contain plant proteins, for example, soy or corn, vegetable oils, minerals, and vitamins. In the wild, carnivorous fish such as salmon eat other fish. Therefore, feeds for farmed carnivorous fish, as well as many herbivorous fish, include fish oils and proteins, as well as plant proteins minerals, and vitamins that achieve the nutrition requirements of the fish and offer health benefits to humans, end quote. NOAA, of course, speaks to and about U.S.-based fisheries. Norway, Scotland, and Chile farm salmon, and they have issues of their own. At the risk of scaring you, there is a concern about eating farm salmon. The sentientmedia.org website article, Farmed Salmon. What is farmed salmon and is it safe to eat? Writes this, quote, There is growing consensus in the scientific community that farmed salmon are no longer safe for humans to eat. Farmed salmon often ingest harmful contaminants from the water they live in, which can be stagnant and dirty due to biological waste, 
as well as waste from chemicals that farmers use on them, end quote. Aquaculture brings challenges, and one is disease, and another is infestation from pests, particularly sea lice. I mentioned that some of the content I found seemed possibly out of date. A 2016 article posted on the Oceana.org site reads, quote, Chile's salmon industry has amped up its use of antibiotics every year since 2010. In 2015, salmon farmers there used 660 grams of antibiotics per metric ton of fish. Norway, in contrast, produces more salmon than Chile, but uses far fewer drugs, around 0.17 grams per ton. End quote. Now, I'm going to put this uh, text as a blog post on the blog, and I'm going to link to it on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 124. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of footnotes and a lot of references here, and it's just easier than making 19, <laughs> 19 separate links. You should read the article. You should read all the articles. A point I want to make is salmon bacteria are much like human bacteria. That is, they grow resistant to the antibiotics they're given. The cycle of creating stronger antibiotics to deal with the resistant strains puts into question what is the effect on the people eating those fish. Scotland is not immune from aquaculture challenges. According to a BBC.com article from 2019, Quote, wild salmon is no longer fished commercially anywhere in the UK, end quote. Aquaculture takes on various forms from ponds or pools on land to massive nets suspended in lakes or oceans. Scotland uses the net system almost like underwater pens, and the fish are raised in these pens. Fish raised in pens in water are subject to infestation such as those sea lice and, in fact, quote, disease, parasites, and even chemicals designed to treat them can all prove fatal, end quote. As the article reads, 9.5 million fish die, which is about 20% of their total. David Ainsley, in that BBC blog post, runs a tour company and notes, quote, We've had a history of weak regulation of salmon farming, a history where the sensible distance between farms have been reduced, where farms are allowed to pollute much greater areas. When the levels of the chemicals in the seabed exceed the allowable standards, nothing is done, a blind eye is turned to it, and the industry is just allowed to continue, end quote. In that same article, the salmon industry of Norway is presented for comparison. Arnfinn Tornes in Brønnesen comments, quote, The authorities control us in a stronger way than they do in Scotland, but I accept and am agreed that that's a good thing for us, end quote. In the Scotland example, one issue is the lack of inspections. The article does note that the Scottish Environment Protection Agency has been criticized for poor regulation. By way of example, the restaurant inspections done in the States are, in my experience, poorly done. 
In the case of health inspectors, they are too few with too much to do. Moving back into fish, some fish, pompano, cobia, salmon, redfish, have rather short sexual maturity cycles that allow for reproduction. Bluefin tuna is a whole other problem. Part of that problem is lack of strict accountability, and part of the problem is taking advantage of the absence of that strict accountability, which leads to overfishing. Rick Ruasis, sorry Rick if I butchered your name, the director of the East Coast Tuna Association said in a 2008 LiveScience.com article, quote, it isn't greed that's driving this, it's mismanagement, end quote. In 2008, the idea of aquaculture tuna was an idea. From the same LiveScience.com article, quote, I think that about 10 years from now, we'll get bluefin tuna to breed via land-based hatcheries, end quote, said Jonathan Zohar, the director of the University of Maryland Center of Marine Biotechnology. Quote, it's only a matter of time and resources, end quote. Move ahead to 2019 in a blog post on the AquacultureNorthAmerica.com page, Alejandro Buenteo tells us, quote, bluefin tuna aquaculture represents a major new high-value market for U.S. farmers, but there is much science to be done to produce the fish entirely under farmed conditions, end quote. Sally Rocky, FFAR Executive Director, says this research has the potential to not only stabilize the wild population, but also create economic opportunities in farming the delicacy, end quote. Tuna aquaculture seems here to stay and to improve. One key question is, will they come under the thumb of NOAA or the USDA or FDA, or can they find a way to nullify those agencies through private monitoring? That's as much a question to better management of their product as it is a question about what to expect. I want to discuss a bit about what a solution to management of aquaculture would look like if private business was to take up the responsibility for it instead of leaving it to the government. But before I do that, let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. The question of what to do and how to do it remains. The U.S. has no shortage of regulation. The U.S. has shown also that, in the aggregate, regulation in an industry tends to put the price higher for the end good or service. This passionate discourse about government, policy, and unintended consequences rarely occurs. Emotions run high and reason takes a break. Examples of too much regulation are plentiful 
but also conceal the rest of the issue. Recent examples of salad contamination are usually followed by remarks that more regulation is necessary. I realize I'm opening a kettle of fish here, pun intended, but the primary point is those illnesses were caused after inspections did or did not happen. More regulation would not have prevented that, and almost certainly the case. Similarly, the massive control of meat processing only makes E. coli infections worse since one plant may ship contaminated ground beef to over a dozen states, and that meat came from a USDA-inspected plant. What most people may not know is the USDA regulates the speed at which chicken and beef plants may operate. In the April 2020 post on foodandpower.net, an article includes this passage, quote, In the past month, the USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service, FSIS, allowed four poultry plants to increase their processing speeds and granted an unprecedented waiver for a beef plant to operate at faster speeds with fewer inspectors on the line. The agency also accepted applications for controversial changes in pork slaughter and welcomed a new food safety chief with deep industry ties, end quote. The meat industry has its own issues, to be sure. The point here is the regulations that are overlooked or in, that endanger the workers or the consumers are hardly worth having or enforcing. Now, for the government made the problem, then more government to fix the problem made by the previously smaller government clearly is not the answer. Sounds like Vizzini, right? I will concede that rules need to exist. Inspections are a good idea. Regulations and standardization is also a good idea, but not from the government. Private enterprise is fully capable of fixing this problem. Now, before you shift in your seat in protest, the restaurant and grocery industry use a third-party inspection service which will check for exactly what you are paying them to find. I've seen this company work for two different grocery chains, and they are far and away superior to the inspections performed by the state. The only problem is they don't have the force of the state behind them, so this third-party inspection is really only helpful information. In both stores, this third-party company was a test inspection to be ready for the state, which always performed an inferior inspection. That inferior inspection came with the blessing of the state to continue doing business. Fish farms, as we've seen from the Scotland example, are poorly inspected they would benefit from an industry third-party system. Guilds or associations can agree upon what the criteria are to be for inspections, and insurance companies can, through premium increases or breaks, act as the enforcement entity. What is necessary, in short, is to establish private property rights. What is needed are water homesteading rights. Maria Rothbard wrote in 1986, quote, In short, since homesteading private property rights has generally not been permitted in parts of the ocean, 
the oceans and other water resources have remained in the primitive state, much as land had been in the days before private property in land was permitted and recognized. End quote. Such an industry-specific system would require inventing it. It would require establishing punitive powers that come with an agreed burden of non-compliance. The aquaculture industry in the U.S. would almost certainly establish better standards since they would be the direct beneficiaries of better products and procedures. Farm-raised fish and regulations and who is in charge of what is a lot to ponder. Since this is 2021, wait, there's more. The World Economic Forum is pushing for the Great Reset. And with it, a lot of less great resets, including the food transformation. I did episodes on each of those two things just a few weeks ago, and I'll put links to both of those episodes on the show notes page. The Great Reset relies upon accepting many of their claims as fact and acting on them in the direction they determine is correct. Now, acting on them means they're going to force you to do it. Not that you have a choice. Climate change, as fact, is one of their positions. From that stance, the WEF offers this, quote, climate change could wipe out 60% of all fish species, new research suggests, end quote. That's a very scary thing to read. Designed to mostly make you panic and, oh my gosh, what do we do? The WEF also has more than a few pages on their website uh, about aquaculture, how it is a boon to fixing this food problem by 2050. And I agree, it is a boon. As systems get better and production improves, prices will come down and products will increase. The solution is aquaculture. The problem, possibly, is the WEF will determine who is to be in the aquaculture business, and just as it will determine who is to be in the plant-based protein business, when it picks the winners, it's also picking the losers. It may sound fantastic to hear that the WEF dares plan the food distribution system. I've already done that episode, as I mentioned, but I want to remind you that they are treating the vanquishing of the virus as a war. To that end, posts and article reads of terror and despair and a proverbial call to arms. Jared Diamond, the author of Lessons from a Pandemic article, identifies four threats to mankind. Nuclear bombs climate change, quote, unsustainable use of essential resources, end quote, and standard of living inequality. Diamond identifies the essential resources as, quote, forests, seafood, topsoil, and fresh water, end quote. He ends his article with this, quote, until the unprecedented danger posed by COVID-19, there has never been a struggle that united all peoples of the world against a widely acknowledged common enemy, end quote. Yes, that was emphasized for your audio pleasure. 
This is first an episode about knowing about the fish and seafood you eat. And I didn't really even get to the oysters and mussels. In the U.S., the Plains states might be a tough place to find wild-caught ocean fish. Closer to the water, look for signs reading U.S. caught. If you find them, a shrimp called hoppers might just be the best shrimp you'll ever have. Now, if you're near enough to the coast and can find, I don't know, probably Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, if you can find Royal Reds, get them. You're going to pay for them, but holy moly. Um, worth getting. If you're near the coast and you know a fishmonger, chat them up. Do they own their own boats? How often do they get fish? Ask your grocery store clerk where the fish comes from. When does it come in? Does it come in frozen? Is it coming in fresh? Do they do any butchering there? Now, I, I, the Matt McCrellis, I'm going to put a link on the children's page to his interview we did. Uh, it's a text interview. Um, and there's a little discussion about how do you know your filet of fish is, never mind the, the farm or wild caught, how do you know it's good to eat? Well, part of it is look at it, and it should be shiny, it should be bright, and it should look nice. Uh, there shouldn't be any fish aroma to it at all. To it, it'll have an odor, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't smell like oh, I don't want this. It should smell like wow, I want this. Um, if it comes with skin on, if it comes with head on, even better. Check the eyes, check the gills. You were looking for. You, you want it to look good. If it doesn't look good, if it doesn't smell good, doesn't feel good. Don't buy it. Then, good Lord, don't eat it. If the clerk can't give you the information you want, ask the store manager. Expecting more from your grocery store is going to be one of the ways you start to get more from your grocery store. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'm going to put the blog post link on the show notes page, as I mentioned, with just it's easier to get all that stuff. Um, and that's going to be on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 124. For you fish eaters who can't get fresh fish or prefer the ease of delivered to your house, I have an affiliate which does just that. Check out the selection at Vital Choice with my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash Vital Choice 10. That's V I T A L C H O I C E. One zero to learn how you can save 10% on your first order and to learn about their vital box subscription packages. Visit culinarylibertarian.com slash vitalchoice10 to order wild-caught seafood delivered right to you. As I mentioned before, I will add both of the Great Reset and Food Transformation links on the show notes page and Punchki Day! Fat Tuesday for you non Polacks is coming. Buy your Punchkeda coffee mug from my Gear Bubble e commerce store, also linked on the show notes page. Please share this episode on your social media feeds and like it when you see it. And please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon.
Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.